Welcome. We're standing between you and the pub crawl, we realize. So, uh, so thank you for making the commitment uh, to coming. Uh, I'm Mark with AWS, and uh, this is Hari with, with Live Nation. Um, I'm going to spend just a few minutes uh, to provide a little bit of an overview uh, from AWS, uh, and then we're going to hand it off to, uh, to Hari for the rest of the session. Welcome. Uh, to STG 210, uh, Simplified Data Center Migration. Really what this is about is a use case, a scenario uh, from our uh, partner and customer, Live Nation, and how they migrated uh, to AWS uh, using uh, a number of solutions, uh, both their own uh, as well as our solutions uh, that we've developed. So what I wanted to do is just give you a little bit of an overview. I am uh, heading up the business development team for storage, so that's a technical strategy role. I work with customers like Live Nation and others to really understand their requirements and, and help them uh, enable their services in AWS. What we believe is that once that storage, and I think you saw it today, storage is really the foundation for the entry point into AWS and all the services that we have to offer because uh, somebody that I was talking to um, you know, last week about disaster recovery, uh, we talked about DR as an example, um, being a compute workload, meaning once you're, you know, you have, if you have a failover, it's going to be a, a compute workload, you're gonna be running a lot of compute. But it's only a compute workload when the DR event happens. However, it's always a storage workload. You're always having to store the data there. So really the point is storage is very foundational to everything that our customers do, and it's a building block on which they build their business. So our storage portfolio uh, ranges from traditional uh, SAN and NAS in the enterprise, and we have equivalents uh, in AWS, uh, our EFS, our EBS for uh, NAS and uh, SAN equivalents. We have our scalable object storage, uh, S3, and then we talked about Glacier. I think you saw some of the announcements that we have for Archive. And then what we're going to talk a lot about today are the various ways in which you can get data into AWS. Uh, one of those I thought uh, you saw today, we're going to be handing out a couple pop quiz items today. How many of you saw the snowmobile up on stage? Yeah. So what's the length of the snowmobile? No? 45? Yep, gentleman in the front. So. Uh, didn't hurt, right? Okay, it was lightweight. Great, excellent. They fly pretty well. Uh, so we've got a couple more. I know Hari has a couple of pop quizzes, but we'll keep it entertaining and, uh, entertaining and light, hopefully, and hopefully you'll take away something from the session today. So Snowball used to be 80. When we announced it, it was 50. We bumped it up to 80 terabytes. Uh, encrypted end-to-end. -end. When you're done with the Snowball process, uh, you ship it back in an e-ink display, also known as a Kindle, ships it back. Rain and dust resistant, tamper resistant, and all data is encrypted. So we've bumped up the, this year uh, the capacity to 80 terabytes. We've added a lot of integration for HDFS, for Hadoop, for example, third party, uh, and then we just announced HIPAA support as well. Uh, and it's available every week. We made a commitment at the beginning of the year to make it available in all regions. So we're almost there except for Singapore, Seoul, and Beijing. Um, so it's very easy to just place your order in the console for Snowball. Uh, it shows up. Uh, you load up your data, load it up on a client or one of the new interfaces. When you're done, you're powered off. The e-ink display automatically puts the barcode on for return shipping, and then the data appears a few days later in your S3 bucket. 
It allows customers like Live Nation to greatly accelerate uh, their, their workloads uh, into the cloud. So to kind of give you a snapshot here, to move 200 terabytes uh, over, say, you have a one gig link and you're able to act, you use it maybe, you know, 50% utilization, take you 36 days uh, to get there, assuming uh, that you don't have a lot of latency, perhaps that might even stretch that out further. So um, if you're talking about uh, multiples of that, it's going to take uh, an order of magnitude. You can see 71 days uh, or you know 150 days if you have a lower internet connection. So the takeaway is uh, Snowball, and what we're gonna do is have Hari talk about their use case. Snowball was one of the vehicles that they used, uh, in particular to migrate their SAP workload, but I wanted to have him now share with you their experience of migrating uh, their overall infrastructure, including SAP, into AWS and share with you some best practices, reference architectures, and also obviously how they use Snowball to enable that. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Hari uh, and tell you a little bit about their migration to AWS. <laughs> Hopefully it works. So we've got a couple uh, okay. waiting. <clears throat> Thanks, Mark. Thanks for giving us the opportunity. It's an honor to be uh, speaking at reInvent. Uh, <clears throat> my name is Hari Tatrakal, Director of uh, Data at Live Nation Entertainment. Uh, <clears throat> today I'll be sharing our roadmap on how Live Nation achieved cloud enablement within a year. Um, <clears throat> the challenges we have, uh, the approaches we came up with, trying to address the challenges and the lessons we learned and <clears throat> a few critical paths we took to make this a successful completion, okay? Um, before, the, this is the agenda I have. We have a good presence of uh, Live Nation cloud services team. You guys wanna wave? So just to know that anyone have any technical questions, they know where to go. And this is the quick agenda I have. Talk about what we do, who we are, and then why we uh, chose AWS and the challenges and our approaches. Um, I have uh, a quiz at the end of the session, just as a, a thank you note. So I'll be asking two music-related questions because we are from uh, entertainment business. And whoever answers right, the first person will get $50 Amazon gift card. Okay? These are not Amazon credit usages. They're actual gift cards. <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> let's start with the, the company introduction. How many of you guys been to a live concert? Okay. That's, that's good. So the chances are high that Live Nation is part of it. And we are, uh, Live Nation is comprised of four market leaders, concerts, media and sponsorship, Ticketmaster, and artist services, uh, which is called Artist Nation. As part of concerts, we manage live events on our own or operated venues. Um, <clears throat> our statistics show that every, every 20 minutes somewhere in the world, there is a live event managed by us. So by the time we've, we wrap this session, there'll be three events kicked off by Live Nation. So that, that gives you an idea of how busy the concert uh, division is. Media and sponsorship is another uh, leader where everything you find in a venue, uh, all the merchandise, t-shirts, 
goodies and hot dogs, beer, all the merchandise which is available at the venues are all managed through Medium sponsorship. It also has so many other products which are related to airlines and banks, credit cards. We have about 900 plus vendors that we partner with as part of Medium sponsorship. Uh, just to give you uh, another uh, dimension to it, this is the largest uh, media network available. It's catering about 70 million fans ranging from 18 to 30 years. So that's, that's more than NFL, NHL, and NBA combined. So it's, that's the size of the fans we support as part of media sponsorship. Ticketmaster, you might have heard, I think they have a very strong presence uh, at reInvent. Uh, you might have caught wind of so many sessions they had. Uh, <clears throat> Ticketmaster is one of the largest ticketing website in the world, and it's among the top 10 e-commerce uh, websites. So every on sale, everything, everything that hits the web basically goes to the Ticketmaster.com uh, website. Artist Nation is uh, <clears throat> the fourth market leader. F for an artist to perform on stage, there is a lot that goes in the background before they get on stage and do the performance. They have to figure out a lot of logistics like transportation, accommodation, selling the tickets, and hiring contingent workers, um, a lot of other things that go in the background. So what we do for them as part of Artist Nation, we, pro we cater them service from everything they have to do to perform on stage. So we have about 200 plus artists that we cater the service. Madonna, Jay-Z, Shakira, and Maroon 5 are few among the 200 artists we cater the service to. Okay, this might sound like almost a borderline bragging about our company, but I think it's important for you guys to know uh, the type of systems and the volume of data and transaction that we are dealing with, uh, which are considered as uh, in the scope of the migration. Okay, so why did we go with AWS? Why, why, uh, why did we choose this as an option? Before that, I want to answer why even cloud? Why did we even opt for cloud? So there's many reasons. Uh, to keep it in a simple uh, way, we got a mandate from our CEO to basically close our data center operations and move everything to cloud. There are many reasons, and these are the top uh, three reasons I could talk of. One is the maintenance and cost. <clears throat> we don't want to invest in our aging infrastructure. And our strict IT budget always doesn't allow us to keep the future growth in mind. And security is another, like any other enterprise, security is probably one of the top three requirements for us, the other two being availability and scalability. So our belief is that the level of effort and time we spend on security is comparatively very less compared to our public cloud company. So, and we strongly believe that AWS has a niche in, in giving the options it has in how we can manage the security as a shared service um, tells a lot about it. And, and the last, which is probably my favorite, and, and if you have to list down 
like top five reasons why you want to go cloud is agility. The, the, the nature of <clears throat> cloud being agile gives us a lot of, I think there are the two, two it addresses two complex reasons, uh, the most complex. One is you always end up having performance issues because you under-provision. The other one is if you over-provision, you have to deal with the, the cost. So we always try to find the happy medium, which is <clears throat> time-taking if it's on an on-prem because you're dealing with so many other things. But being in, in cloud, I think that is the best advantage I can think of. <clears throat> you, can ha you can strike a perfect balance between cost and performance because of the agile nature of cloud. <clears throat> okay, so that's why we need, uh, we went for cloud, and why did, we, why did we go with the AWS route? And back in 2014, March, this is a long time back, we came up with a very, I think the requirement is to find a solution for backups, like to replace our tape and move, every, like completely decom tape and go with something else. So that was the origination, but we started with more of more holistic view of how else we can use cloud and what exactly is there. So these are the three, four reasons why we why we wanted to do a, a quick uh, pet project. One is the connectivity. We wanted to make sure that we have better connection, um, you know, reliable and secure and scalable. And invoice billing is another uh, key requirement for us as part of the cloud analysis, we have multiple departments and we wanted to go with a chargeback model. So depending on the usage, depending on you know, who is using what, we would like to charge back. So in that way, we can segregate and, and have more visibility on where we are spending money. And the multiple operating system, like any other corporate, we are not Microsoft shop or Linux shop. We, we have a little bit of everything. Um, <clears throat> majorly because the companies we acquire and mergers, that basically doesn't give us much control on what we have. We always end up inheriting stuff. And <clears throat> the backup solution, which I mentioned, is probably one of the reasons why we wanted to go. What we came up with, this is very rudimentary. We kind of spent like two weeks to gather all the information. So I don't really uh, say that is as of today. So many things have changed. But what we have seen in 2014 is from the cost-wise, everything turned out to be cheaper from AWS compared to HP and Azure. And one of our favorite is the way we have the operating systems. It has so many options we can choose from. There's, there's a lot of AMIs in marketplace. You can bake your own AMI. You can make your own <coughs> uh, changes and you know, uh, share it. The only thing which was a tie at that time was the VM integration. We couldn't find any perfect match at that time who could, who could do this. I can, I can say that with the Amazon and Azure uh, Amazon and uh, <clears throat> VMware partnership this year, probably that has changed, and probably they made much better than any other uh, provider because of that uh, partnership. And also, we, we <clears throat> as part of, this is, this is the analysis we did two years back, but we have done, uh, you know, we are in constant touch with the market pulse of what's going on, and know what are the, what are the available features. 
we always saw the features AWS offer are very matured and, and the, the, the length and breadth of what it has to offer compared to other providers uh, is unparalleled. Okay. This is our uh, on-prem infrastructure. It's a, <clears throat> we have two data centers, one serving the primary and the other one uh, is purely for DR purpose. We have a bunch of storage uh, um, vendors we deal with, and we have we are big in uh, virtualware, virtual machines, and we have about 80% virtual and 20% physical. Um, our operating system is half and half between Windows and Unix. Our databases are primarily on Oracle and SQL Server, and we have a small footprint of MySQL. Our applications, we have about 119 applications uh, that needs to be uh, migrated as part of the scope. Our biggest is SAP environment, and our probably most complex by the nature of the business is Oracle Business Suite. So I'll be giving that as an example uh, to just walk you through the steps of how we did the migration down the line. <clears throat> so what are our challenges in... Uh, in, in our migration method is we wanted to do the, the cloud migration with aggressive timelines because we are asked to move faster than we are comfortable and we have petabyte worth of volume that needs to be migrated and we wanted to be as cost efficient as possible. So these three are probably mutually exclusive. You wouldn't see this three things in one place uh, unless this slide. So anything I'm going to show from now on, all the other sessions, it's not yet started, I guess. <laughs> so anything I'm going to show from now are basically trying to address a solution for these three challenges. So kind of everything kind of revolves around this three uh, aggressive timelines and petabyte volume and cost effective uh, so as for the Gartner, we have, probably you guys have, everyone knows this. If not, you can, you can Google this information, so I won't get into the weeds. <clears throat> but this is, this is the overall view of how you can migrate the data into cloud. Rehost, refactor, revise, rebuild, and replace. <clears throat> the, the fastest way to migrate the data out of all this is by using the rehost method because all you're doing is, they're also called a lift and shift or forklifting. So we opted rehost as majority of our migration process just because we wanted to go faster. We did a little bit of rebuilding to address some cost optimization uh, that we did eventually. And we also did some SaaS solutions which are very easily available and replaceable. Uh, for instance, we migrated Microsoft Exchange to Office 365, and <clears throat> that, that could be probably a, a good example for a SaaS solution we opted for. <clears throat> so as part of all this, one of the... <clears throat> something that kind of caught us by surprise is we ended up retiring so many systems. So we did so many data center to data center migrations in the past. So we thought it's going to be another, another migration like that. What is different with data center to cloud migration is 
we, we started having a chargeback model and created multiple accounts for each and every department. So finance has their own, marketing has their own, data science has their own, and venues have their own. So everyone has their own accounts. And we started funneling all these environments to where they should belong. And there were so many that they said, <clears throat> we don't need this, we are not, being, we are not using it. Or, you know, they were like inherited by someone else, but we don't even know why they are running. If it had been another data center to data center migration, probably we would have just forklifted everything and moved it. Maybe we would have decommed like 5% of it just because they're so uh, clear. But this one, because everything is being on a chargeback model, that made everyone think about why do we need this? Can we SAS this? Or can we you know, uh, find an alternative? Or can we archive this uh, into Glacier? Or there are, there are so many creative ways we made them to think just because everyone is trying to avoid uh, what they want to have in their uh, account. And just to give you an idea, we have about a petabyte of volume of data that needs to be migrated. While going through retiring and finding a SaaS solution, we brought our data from petabyte to under 200 terabytes. So there's so many databases we we retired that not just saved us from the storage cost and managing them, but also it helped us from the licensing, the database licensing and the maintenance and the support and the DC operation maintenance. So it kind of has any angle you see it, there is an advantage just by doing the retiring. Though that's not my favorite because, <laughs> of course, that, that doesn't uh, you know, keep us on jobs. We want to keep some environments. But it's it's a great thing to know that moving from on-prem to cloud is an eye-opener for us, and it changed the way we think in how, what else you can do along with your systems. And one of the reasons for, for this one is also the, the cost, how you can see the reporting using Amazon. Uh, there is... All the information is kind of the reporting is on single pane of glass, so you have you can you can you can tell exactly a particular environment and storage and the utilization by memory and all those things. It also gives you a lot of knobs to tweak and reduce the usage, which I will be talking about in one of the examples. <clears throat> Another big thing I think it's uh, probably one of the smartest thing we did is by spending good amount of time in training. Because when we started, our, our challenge is to move faster and <clears throat> we wanted to spend less money. If we, if we had to go with a third party, obviously it would cost us more than in doing it in-house. And also, and someone new joining us will have to spend time understanding our environment, our process, our procedures, and all those things, which would also take time. So it, it, has a, it has a cost factor and also it has a time factor. And once they done did the implementation, we have to again get knowledge on all that, so we have to support it. So by having the training in place for us kind of helped us save cost, time, and the transition. And as a side benefit, we got, we got the whole cloud services team uh, trained with all the best uh, available uh, training we have from AWS. 
So we also build intellectual property as a side benefit. So that's, that's an asset for a company. So I, I think this is probably one of the smartest decisions uh, <clears throat> we made, and, and the props go to Jake Burns. This is a, this is a initiative uh, decided by him. And as of today, we have about 10 certifications uh, in our team who, who are basically um, a reflection of what type of uh, skills we have and how strong we are with the technology. So these are overall um, high-level data migration flow. <clears throat> I kind of segregated data into logically into operating system and stateless and stateful. So operating system is we have virtuals and physicals. Depending on what type of virtuals we have, uh, it's a VMware. We did VM export import, and we did uh, use uh, heavily uh, AWS uh, export import options. Uh, <clears throat> There are a few new builds just because we had environments which are unsupported, are lower versions that we don't even have uh, anything available at um, the marketplace or um, the AMIs, uh, which are supported by AWS. So we started with a new build, uh, trying with a upgrade as an option. And the other part of the data is stateless which probably you can, uh, um, application is a good example. So you can just, we, we used uh, regular copy methods uh, to, to transfer this data. We also used data export import for file server migrations. The stateful is something we have to make sure that the copy is read consistent. So for example, database is something that you can't just copy it while it's up and running. So we have to use uh, backup and recovery tools to make sure that when we restore it, it's, the database is in a read consistent state. So these are, uh, so as part of the stateful, the backups we did rsync, we did TD commands, we used Snowball, we, we used a variety of commands depending on the size of the data we are dealing with. So this is an example uh, I wanted to show you to walk you through the steps this is our Oracle financials environment. This is a, a very complex with the interfaces and uh, other dependencies, but I just kept it simple for the, um, <clears throat> for the explanation of how we migrated the environment. So it's a two-rack, uh, two-node rack cluster. It's an Oracle e-business suite with a high available feature. It has an app storage, uh, two application nodes, load balancing on, so they both are active-active, and they are on a shared Apple Top model. We have a DR environment in another data center, which are being synced with the replication, uh, with, on the application side, on the database side, we use Active Data Guard to, to keep all the changes uh, applied on the DR side. The database is about, Six ter five terabytes in the application and archive logs, everything combined probably will be around six terabytes of data. So we have to, <clears throat> the process in, in a, a quick process in migrating this environment would be spinning off uh, two EC2s, one for the application, one for the database, and uh, carve out the storage. We used Amazon uh, EBS block.
storage. We uh, configured the ACLs and NACLs and put everything uh, in place so for the data to be transferred. We copied over the uh, data using a DD command. I think we spent about one week to copy the data and one week to uh, build the environment. So it took about two weeks for us to build a copy of our Oracle financials in uh, AWS. <clears throat> so doing, doing the same math, we have about nine environments that needs to be migrated. So that takes about five months of time to, to just migrate one environment from uh, on-prem to AWS. So how we did to reduce the time, because that is one of our challenges to do it quickly. So the approach we took was, when we did build the database in AWS, we enabled the Active Data Guard. So we have the DR-like scenario. All changes happen in on-prem have the same changes in AWS. So you have a live environment which is actively up and running all the time. So that basically saved us the copy time across the wire, the one week time. And then <clears throat> instead of copying from environment to environment, from <clears throat> on-prem to AWS, we basically sourced the environment, the stage environment in AWS and used that as a source and spun all the environments in AWS. <clears throat> uh, to, so what, what advantages are we having uh, by using AWS services here? We use CloudFormation to build a template for all the environments, which basically took us, it's a one-time preparation of building the CloudFormation script with all the, with all the configuration we want. And once we have it, we could, we could basically deploy all these environments, EC2 environments, in a couple of hours. So that saved us big time by using CloudFormation. Uh, my opinion about CloudFormation is if you, the, the best advantages you get by using CloudFormation is if you reuse it. And the another best, best advantage of using CloudFormation is all these environments, you can keep them consistent. We always had issues on-prem building new environments and dealing with so many one-time setups that we always forget. Even if you document them, there is always something you miss. But having this kind of made, made sure that all the other environments we deployed are consistently same matching the stage environment. And <clears throat> the other advantage we use with um, AWS services is every st all the storage is in EBS block. So all we did is take a EBS snapshot and then use that snapshot to restore against all these environments. So it kind of happened almost instantaneously. So we built all these environments within a week by, by using CloudFormation, by using EBS Snapshot Backup Restore, and <clears throat> a work that would have taken five months uh, took us less than one month to finish this. And <clears throat> There is, a, there is a challenge in, in uh, doing this from developers to migrate from on-prem to uh, AWS is not all the copies are similar to the production, but we, we made production as a source for all these environments. 
so they they don't have their dev environment and test environment uh, as as images on the on the AWS environments. So what we did, we made we we every time there is a request for a refresh of the databases, we used to refresh the AWS environment and then turn off or decom the on-prem one. So every time there is a database request, we used to have them switch to the AWS environment and turn all the on-prem environments subsequently. So that also gave developers a lot of time to switch from one environment to the other environment. So we made the migration faster. We also gave the time we saved by doing a faster migration uh, <clears throat> to developers so they can take their own time and move the migration. Uh, <clears throat> there is another advantage of uh, AWS we used here all these environments at one time were all up and running, but they are not being used actively. So we turned all these services off, or anything that they wanted to go back and forth, we always downsized them when they are not being used and, and used it and sized it back to their requirements when they want to use it back. So that gives us a lot of leverage in how we can use the AWS scaling up, scaling down um, options every time we did that. So I think there are a lot of points we managed, not just by moving it faster, but we used a lot of services uh, offered by AWS, which basically made us maintain our costs to the minimum. This is our final production uh, architecture uh, picture, and it has, if, if you go back to our production environment on-prem, it has high available rack cluster enabled, and it has you know, uh, two databases, active-active, already uh, um, you know, all the time running, and it has a DR environment. So what we did in, as part of the re-architecture with the rack environment, <coughs> we couldn't go with real application clusters in, in AWS, because AWS has two nodes, or n number of nodes, they always have the same storage, single file, storage system. And our objective in finding a high available solution in AWS is assuming that if uh, AZ goes offline, how do we, how do we have HA solution? So having a single storage model for rack is something that we couldn't really, really uh, maintain it in two availability zones. There is, there is an option with EFS file storage, but which spans across availability zones, but that is not recommended for database operations due to performance reasons. So what we have done to address that is uh, we created two databases in two availability zones in the same region with the same data guard, active data guard, zero lag. So we always have both databases up and running all the time, while the primary is active and the secondary is always passive. And we also created another one, another copy in a DR site in a, in a different region. So in, in a situation where that's a true DR, if you have the whole region goes offline, then you still have your data that can be worked on. So another thing we have done uh, in this one, which is different from on-prem, in on-prem it's active-active configuration. So we always had both of them up and running and the configuration we had on on-prem is about 32 core on 
and 128 gigram per node. So we have about 64 cores plus real application cluster licensing. That's very expensive. If you guys uh, had worked with the, uh, the Oracle uh, database licensing from the real application and the uh, CPU-wise. So what we have done here, we removed completely real application cluster out of equation. And we also <clears throat> downsized, or maybe the right word is right-sized the environment from 32 core to 16 core. So the capacity we, we literally reduced to half from, uh, from the CPU. And still, the performance-wise, it outperformed our on-prem environment. The only difference is we have EBS uh, SSDs, and we, we didn't have SSDs on-prem. With that difference, we basically could cut down the resources and, and uh, save on licensing and costs. And on the second second availability zone and DR, because they are not being actively being used, we always can keep them to bare minimum. We don't have to keep the same 16 core all the time. So we kind of downsized. So we, by doing AZ1, AZ2, and no real application clusters, I think we saved big on database licensing, cluster licensing, and still have the same performance that we promised our business. So we wanted to do the same thing for, for SAP environment. Uh, the problem is it's four times bigger than uh, Oracle Financials, which is about 20 terabytes. And we could, the only way we could have migrated this is by upgrading our network infrastructure. Because we, by the time we started SAP implementation uh, as part of the migration, we have so many other in parallel migrations going on. and the. the the network bandwidth has been shared by others, and that basically <clears throat> became a major bottleneck for us to, to, to do the copy of how we did for Oracle Financials. So the only way we could do this is by, by using a snap, uh, Snowball export-import, so that, that came to a big uh, rescue for us. <clears throat> I, I don't think what we would have done uh, without that, uh, because we, we just don't want to migrate it. We wanted to do it in a um, you know aggressive timeline. So the other reasons of uh, snapshot uh, the, the snowball is we have pretty much one dedicated engineer who managed everything on his own, and it, that's that basically tells how simple uh, it is to work with the snowball, and it's secure and it deals with the big data sets. And also another big uh, advantage with the snowball is. Imagine if, even if we spend four weeks to copy the entire 20 terabytes from on-prem to uh, cloud, we will still have so many archive logs that are generated over a period of four weeks. And if for some reason, if we have to redo it, then we have to again go back, we can't restart, we can't resume from where we left, we have to start all the way from you know, ground zero. So having so having a, a traditional way of migrating would have taken a lot, lot time than uh, what we have done with the Snowball. I think we, we, to copy a 20 terabyte database, it took about less than a weekend to, to copy all the data back into the Snowball. So that was 
so less than 24 hours of data copy in in <clears throat> using snowball versus four weeks of you know not so guarantee way of copying things uh, saved us a lot in in timing as well as um, the, the time we used to spend from uh, managing the system and also there are a few few uh, archive logs which also helped us to bring up the system back up and running we worked on, uh, so going back to the cost optimization, what we promised our business initially is whatever performance they have on-prem is, is the baseline, and it could be better than what we have it on-prem in AWS. So starting with that motive, everything we prepared in AWS is basically, okay, we have 32 cores, let's bring what, what's matching instance for 32 core. And we started building all these environments matching the same hardware specs. So that basically ended up being so many resources we have, but they are not being utilized properly. So we, we, we used uh, AWS Trusted Advisor to get a <clears throat> overall a picture of the cost optimization performance, and uh, that really helped us how to, you know, what, what are the advisors we can we can do to uh, do the cost optimization. We also used CloudWatch tool to see how the CPU utilization, memory utilization, and you know how what's the high water mark of every environment. That basically gave us an idea. Okay, we started that this is what the base level, but we are not even using 10 to 20 percent. So by, by reviewing the AWS Trusted Advisor and uh, CloudWatch, we came up with so many environments which are not, like we started POC and no one really touched it after that. It's been up and running all the time. It's been there for like months. There are so many databases we, we, we spun as part of the stage environments, but once we migrated, we, no one really worried about it. So that's the typical mentality of how we would do in on-prem environments. So, but thanks to all these cool tools we have in AWS, that we could see it, it has, we have more visibility on, on the usage and where we are spending money. So that really helped us. So downsizing EC2 environments to uh, what's required and turning off all the services to what not being used and we also started with provision IOPS into to, to databases that we, we barely used. And we turned all those to the GP2 you know, usage. And we also have uh, the one I just ex explained to you guys, Oracle Financials. We had 32 core, 32 core, 64 core. We, gave, we brought it down to less than half core. So we are not just saving on the cost optimizations you see is purely on AWS usage, but there is underneath advantage of even saving on licenses, because most of the licenses we had, because we are already on-prem, we kind of bring your own license model. So they were still carried over to AWS. So you don't really see them as part of the cost optimizations we have done, but those are all hidden advantages we had which we will be having when we renew our licensing down the line. There is uh, also, 
other than what you see here, I'll just show you how much we saved on just by turning out the services, saving on, uh, and then right-sizing the EC2 environments. <clears throat> In October, the first week, our burn rate was about 6,800 per day. And by turning out the services and downsizing the environments and taking off um, you know, all the bells and whistles of we never used, we brought it down to 3,600 per day. So that's 52% in cost reduction. We didn't do much of, this is this 52% of cost reduction just by looking at <clears throat> going with a re-hosting model. Imagine if, if you start rebuilding the environments with, with the right architecture as I showed in, in, uh, in our Oracle financials, probably they would, we would save a lot in that one too. And going back to one petabyte down to 200 terabytes, we are not even considering that here. So assuming that if you have, if you haven't done any cost optimizations, and if you still have one petabyte of data brought down to 200 terabytes, even if AWS is as expensive as on-prem, we would still save phenomenal amount of just just by getting rid of. 80% of the data. So that's uh, the summary. I wanted to uh, curate all the slides into one. So by we, there was no silver bullet in trying to do this migration. We have to do a little bit of everything, part of the rehost, retiring and replacing. We did the training part, the DR method to cut down the timings use the snowball uh, to move 20 terabytes under 24 hours, and we did the rebuild to save on costs. So there is a little bit of every every angle, every aspect you look at it. There has to be done so much, and this is only pay, phase one, I call it, because in phase two, we wanted to do the re-architecture, where I, I see more, uh, it's more interesting, and also it's more fun in working, because you are you're not just, forklifting is the quick and easy way, but that's not the way we wanted to do it. We really wanted to learn and use what AWS has to offer. So that will be our phase two, which will be more interesting for us.